0: Well, good morning and welcome to Genesis. If you're new or visiting, my name is Jerry. I am our campus pastor here at our Carmel location, and we're glad to have you with us today. There's so many different exciting things happening, but I want to say this we would love to connect with you today. There are connection cards in the seat backs in front of you. You can fill one of those out, or you can go to the blue tent in the lobby after service. But we would love to connect with you and help you take a next step in your journey uh, with Jesus. So please stop by and do that before you leave today. Uh, today's exciting for lots of different reasons. It's family service. So you notice there's lots of kiddos in here. That's, this is an opportunity for us to worship and learn together as a church family with adults and kids. So that's always exciting. Michael mentioned this earlier. We're really excited to have our student ministry worship team lead us in worship today. Can we give them a hand? They did. They did fantastic. So Michael used to be our worship pastor. And then when when we hired him to be the student pastor, he took his heart for worship with him. And over the last two years, he has just developed a culture of worship. And I was talking to one of the student leaders, um, up on stage and I said, you guys did such a great job. And he said, I've been fighting back tears all morning. I'm so proud of these kids. And the, that same group of students meets up on Wednesday mornings at a Starbucks before they head to school together. They meet up and they pray together. And they're there on, uh, on Sunday nights here. Uh, we've got students on the cameras and running stuff backstage. And so we've got the next generation is, is well represented here at Genesis Church. And we're so thankful for all that they're doing. So there's that. And it's Baptism Sunday today. Across our two campuses, we have seven people that are being baptized. And this is a powerful visual representation of what it looks like to start a brand new life with Jesus, to die to our sins and be raised to new life. So that's exciting. All kind of other exciting things happening here at Genesis. And so I want to take a moment to pray, to thank God for all that he's doing. And then we're going to jump into his word together. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for who you are, we are thankful that when we gather, we gather because of who you are. We sing to you. We're not just singing songs, we're singing to you. We're singing because of you. And we're thankful today for these, these students and these student leaders uh, who you have gifted to be able to lead us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together as kids and adults. And today, as we study through your life, Jesus, I pray that you would give us new, fresh eyes to see you for who you are? Would you show us how you live so we can learn how to follow your example? Holy Spirit, would, would you use this time right now to help us to encounter you? And maybe we're gonna encounter you for the very first time today, or maybe for some of us that have been walking with you for a while, we need a new encounter. We need to be refreshed by who you are because you never change, no matter what changes in our life. Jesus, we love you. We lift up our time to you right now, and it's in your name that we pray, amen. So last week, our family got to experience something for the very first time. Maybe you've experienced this before. HelloFresh, right? This is a pretty cool food service where you can go online and you can order recipes, and they'll deliver everything to your door. Like, everything that you need is in this box. And we really appreciate it. We actually really enjoyed our experience. But here's what you need to know. We don't have a subscription. This box was dropped at our house last Saturday. My wife carried it in, and she said, Uh, This isn't ours. What are we going to do with it? And clearly, it was refrigerated. It's cold. You could feel that the contents inside were cold. And so we thought, well, we got to get it to somebody. And so we looked, and it's got our address on it. But the name on it is the lady that used to live at our house. She hasn't lived there for five years. We've gotten all of her junk mail. And now we got one of her packages. And so we thought, well, there's food in here. We need to do something with this. So I called the people at HelloFresh and said, hey, there's been a mistake. You delivered this package to our house. And we just want to make sure that the food gets to where it's going. The guy on the phone was great. He was super helpful. And he said, I tell you what, I'm going to call this lady and let her know. We'll get things fixed and changed. And I said, well, where do you want us to leave this? Because we don't want the food to go bad. And he said, well, here's the thing. We've already given it to you, and we can't take it back. It's yours. You get to try it for free. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And hung up the phone, and I was like, Casey, get in here. We got a gift. (laughs) And we tore into this thing. And it's so cool. Like, we had never seen this before. This is is an insulated box. And there are recipe cards. There was uh, shrimp, chicken, ground beef, fresh ginger, all kind of stuff in here. And we've been making HelloFresh meals all week. And on numerous occasions, our kids have said, is this one of those HelloFresh meals? This is really good. Now, my wife's a really good cook. She just doesn't usually cook with ginger, OK? So my kids, are, their minds were blown. And here's what I would want you to know. I'm not going to subscribe to HelloFresh. Now, I had heard about it before. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's clever. But I will say this. After having the experience that I've had, I have to say I'm a believer. The customer service was great. The food was great. The recipes were really easy to follow. And so if you were to ask me, should I or shouldn't? I? I'm i like, if you've got the money and you can do that, why not? I mean, I am just a believer in, in what they do. And have you noticed that's how life works? There's lots of things that we can hear about. But until we experience them for ourselves, we can't make, really make a call on it. We don't know if we like it or if, or if we don't. And there's products that we want to buy. There's places that we want to go. There's things we want to try but we really can't weigh in until we've experienced it for ourselves. Now this year as a church family, we have been reading and studying through the gospel of John for this entire year. We started back in January. And in January, we shared a a passage of scripture with you then and we've shared this passage throughout the course of the year. And John says something very similar to what I just explained to you. This is what John says in 2031, John 2031, he says this. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. In other words, this is what John says. I have written my account of Jesus's life for you. I knew him, and the reason I wrote it down is because I don't want you to just hear about him. I want you to experience him. I want you to know him so that you can believe in him. So that you can believe that he is who he claims to be, the son of God, God's promised Messiah. And and in believing in him, you can have life, eternal life, everlasting life with God in heaven through faith in Jesus. That's John's purpose for writing. And over this year, we have covered 19 of the 21 chapters that John has recorded for us. Last week, we looked at Jesus's brutal death on a cross. Next week, we're going to study his powerful resurrection from the dead. But this week, we're going to hit pause in John's Gospel, and we're going to go back and look at a few specific events from Jesus's life, where we're going to see a pattern emerge that tells us a lot about how Jesus lived, but it's also a pattern that he intends for us to carry out in our lives as well. And so since we've got kids in the room, we're going to go back to the very beginning of Jesus' life when Jesus was just a baby. How many of you, how many of you kids know the, the Christmas story? Right? At Christmas, what happens? Jesus is born, right? An angel comes to Mary and says, Hey, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. And when he's born, the angels come and they tell the shepherds, Go worship your new king. And the shepherds worship him. And there's wise men that come from a distance, and they worship Jesus. And that's the Christmas story. And all of that happens between like birth and two years old. And then we don't know anything until Jesus is 12 years old. In Luke chapter 2, we get a story about Jesus when he's 12 years old. Now, if you are 12 or 13 years old, can you stand up for me? I, I need you to do me a favor. Okay, here's a couple, couple, Okay. This this story that we're gonna share with you, Jesus was about this age, okay? So appreciate Jesus at this age. Thank you, you guys can have a seat. But we're talking young, preteen. His family travels to the holy city of Jerusalem as they did probably once a year for Passover. It was a really special festival. They went in, they celebrated, they worshiped, and it came time to leave, and Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, forgot Jesus. They left him and not for like 20 minutes, for two days. Apparently, they got one day away from the city, and they were like, has anybody seen Jesus? And they're like, we left him. And they had to travel back a day and find him. Now, thankfully, he was 12 years old. He was probably resourceful enough to figure things out. But what kind of parents forget their kids? I don't, I don't know what kind of parents those are, but me and my wife are those kinds of parents. <laughs> About 10 years ago. Our son, Ben, who's now 14, he's probably four or five at the time, maybe five or six. We forgot him. It was at church, okay? We drove separately, and my wife, when it came time to leave, she thought he was staying with me. I thought she was going home with her. So I walked through the door, and she's like, where's Ben? And I said, he's with you. And she said, no, no, he is with you. And I said, he is not with me. We live 15 minutes away, and we came from a very large church, Now, we knew all the people, and we trusted all those people, but we're like, our son, our four- or five-year-old son is figuring this out right now. I run to the car, and I'm like panicked. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from a friend and said, hey, did you forget something? I said, yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Is is he with you? He's fine. He's fine. He's a little shaken. We're leaving. We'll meet you in between. I said, great. Thank you so much. So I hop in the car, and I go, and I get Ben. But here's the saddest part of the story, Okay. We were leaving for town that afternoon for like a four or five-day vacation. And Ben knew this. Yeah. So we get in, and I strap him in. And I said, buddy, I'm so sorry. And we drive for a minute. And like real quiet, he says, Daddy, you forgot me. You were going to go on vacation without me. And I said, buddy, I didn't forget you. Your mom did. (laughs) It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And we, we felt horrible. We felt is not our proudest parenting moment, but we do, whenever we feel really bad, we go back and we read this story and we're like, hey, Jer- Mary and Joseph, like this, they forgot the son of God. We're not doing too bad, right? So we find comfort in seeing this, but here's how this story, when Jesus is 12 year old, this is how it ends. This is all Luke tells us about the end of the story after they find Jesus. Luke chapter two, verses 51 through 52 says, then he, Jesus, went down to Nazareth, his hometown, with them, his parents, and was obedient to them. Now, I want you to pay attention to this, kids. Jesus, at 12 years old, was learning to be obedient to his parents and to God. It says his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so this is really important. At 12 years old, Jesus was learning and practicing obedience just like the rest of us. And this happened at 12 and the next story we have from Jesus's life is when he's 30. Now, I know some of you kids are really good at math. What's the difference between 30 and 12? How many years is that? Maybe you're not so good at math. 30 and 12, it's 18 years. That's a long time. 18 years. We don't know anything about Jesus's life other than Luke says he grew up like the rest of us. He grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man. And a lot can happen in 18 years. This is a picture of me when I was about 10 years old. I played for the Greenville Tigers, I was on the starting five, we won the county championship, we were 11-0 and and I contributed about this much. But still I was on the team and I started, right? But a lot has changed in my life. I had more hair then than I have right now. I've got more hair on my face now than I had then. I definitely weigh a lot more, I'm a little smarter, but a lot has changed in my life between then and now. Now I wanna have some fun with you guys, I wanna show you some pictures of some of our staff members then and now. And I wanted to see if you can guess who they are. So who is this first guy? Any guesses? He's wearing a Bears jersey, so he's on probation right now. But any guesses on who it is? Paul. Not Paul. Wow. Who is it? Let's see the picture. Joel, Joel Burkhead. Right? He was so much cuter as a kid, I have to say. I have to say. OK, who we got next? All right. Now, the, the age of this picture might give this one away. Who is it? Who we got? It's Paul Mumal, right? Always a stud. All right, who's next? Michael. Michael. the eyes give it away right away. He's got that baby face, right? I don't know what he's complaining about as a kid. He's clearly complaining, though. You can see it on his face. All right, let's go to the next one. Here's a hint. He doesn't, he's not here at this campus, but he's here on a regular basis. And he's a little bit of a wild man. That's the only hint you get. Justin Tunmore, somebody knew it right away. They said Justin Tunmore, right? OK, here's one last one. This is my favorite. I, I had no idea. I had no idea. That is our very own Lisa Moeller, right? I thank Lisa for sharing that picture with us. It is awesome, right? It is awesome. A lot changes from childhood to when we're adults. But what we see, what Luke tells us, is from 10 to 30, all we know is Jesus grew physically, but he grew mentally. He grew emotionally. He grew spiritually. And what we see is that as he grew, this is what Luke tells us, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And I think what's implied in here is that at 30 years old, or from 12 to 30, he grew in obedience. He learned how to be obedient to his heavenly father. And that obedience leads us to the next story that we find when he's 30 years old, okay? Um, This story is recorded in three of the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Mark's account specifically. Mark says this, Mark 1.9. This is how Mark begins his gospel. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John, John the Baptist, in the Jordan. Now, if you read Luke's version of this, Luke tells us that at this time, Jesus was 30. That's how we know how old he is. But look at what we learn. At this time, he left Nazareth. Well, that's where we left him when he was 12. So he's left his hometown, and now he's come to John the Baptist to be, to be baptized, which should lead us to a really important question. Why would Jesus need to be baptized at 30 years old? If you don't know the story, John the Baptist, his message, he was telling people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For the kingdom of God is close. Now, that word repent means admit that you're a sinner and turn to God. And so all these people were coming to Jesus to be baptized. They were repenting, but Jesus had never sinned. So why would Jesus be baptized? Well, we're going to read on. But here's John the Baptist, I'm sorry, John the Baptist struggled with this a little bit too. He said, wait a minute, time out. Jesus, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't baptize you. Like there was all this confusion. So why would Jesus be baptized when he, when he was 30? Well, what we see is Jesus is practicing obedience because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus told John, we're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is what my father wants me to do, and so this is what we're going to do. We see Jesus practicing obedience at 30 years old. And and I want to share this with you. This is what we find is some reasons, some practical reasons as why we celebrate baptism as a church family. We celebrate baptism here at Genesis to follow Jesus's example. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the example of his baptism. But we also celebrate baptisms to follow Jesus's command. At the very end of his life, after he rose from the dead, Jesus gathers his followers around him. And he says, I want you to go into the whole world. I want you to go and tell everyone about me. And anyone that follows me, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the pattern we see is actually it's a command where Jesus says, baptize people that believe in me in my name. And we also celebrate baptisms to identify with Jesus. Because what we see is baptism is a natural next step. I would say it's it's kind of a first act of obedience. The process begins when we realize that we have sinned and broken our relationship with God, when we realize we have damaged our relationship with him, and when we trust in Jesus's death in our place, baptism is a a next step response. We're receiving God's forgiveness. We're receiving the gift of his Holy Spirit. And it's also a physical representation of what's happening. We're dying to our sins, and we're being raised to new life in Jesus. And baptism is significant because it's meant to be public. Jesus died publicly for us, and so when we're baptized publicly, it's our way to publicly confess and proclaim, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and I believe that he's done for me things that only he can do for, for me. So Jesus is, so the, the example of baptism, it's powerful for us, but Jesus' baptism was pretty powerful too. Look at what Mark tells us happens when Jesus was baptized in verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Mark says things happened when Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were torn open. I mean, can you imagine, like, what does that look like? And then then Mark says the Holy Spirit of God came and rested upon Jesus. What we learn in Luke's gospel is that from this point forward, the Holy Spirit was filling, leading, and guiding Jesus everywhere he went. It's a picture of what happens when we surrender our life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So heavens were torn open, the Holy Spirit came upon him, but that's not all. Then something big happened. Verse 11, a voice came from heaven and said, you, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus at 30 years old? come up out of the water and to hear God, his heavenly father say, I am so proud of you. Everything that you're doing is good. I'm pleased with you. If you've ever been praised by a parent like that, you know the power that those words carry. And our words matter. They can build people up or they can tear them down. I remember when I was five years old, I remember sitting out on our front porch with my mom and we were looking out over the fields in our front yard and my mom sat down next to me. And she said, what are you thinking about? And I was looking up into the sky and I said, mom, look, I can see the curve of the earth. I was like five years old. And My mom, you know what she said? She said, you're so smart. I cannot wait to see what you're going to be when you grow up. Now, could I see the curve of the earth? If so, I could, I've never been able to replicate it. I don't know, but what mattered was my mom took advantage of the opportunity to praise me and to tell me, of all all the potential that she saw inside of me. And I can still like close my eyes and remember where I was sitting with her. Our words are so powerful. They can build up or they can tear down. And so parents, I wanna remind you of how powerful our words can be. Grandparents, this is true for you too, and teachers and coaches. This is true for brothers and sisters. Our words matter. And I think God is modeling this for us here because He speaks from heaven to His Son and says, Son, I am pleased with you. I am delighted in you. And I think what God is saying is, Jesus, you've been faithful. You are being obedient to me, and it's so pleasing to me. So here's the pattern. At 12, Luke tells us that Jesus had to learn to be obedient to His parents just like the rest of us. And He grew in Wisdom and, and obedience with his heavenly Father. At thirty, we see Jesus modeling obedience for us, and God speaks from heaven and praises him. And that obedience carried him to the end of his life. Jesus knew where the path of obedience was going to lead him, and he tells his disciples about it somewhere in the middle of his ministry in Luke chapter nine. I don't know the timestamp for sure. I'm going to guess there was about a year left in his life, maybe a few months. But I want you to hear what Jesus says to his disciples, he spells out what his obedience is going to look like. Luke 9, Jesus says this, the Son of Man, referring to himself as the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, that's the story that we studied last week. And Jesus didn't leave out any details. It hadn't happened yet. But he knew where his obedience was leading him, and he didn't shy away from it. And then in the very next verse, Jesus says to his disciples, and I want you to know that I expect you to be obedient as well. Look at verse 23, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now we like the idea of our sins being forgiven through faith in Jesus, but this idea of having to follow his obedience and death and denying ourselves on a regular basis, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. And look at this image. Jesus says, you're going to have to carry your cross. The cross was an instrument of death. The reason we wear the cross as a necklace or as an ornament is because we know that Jesus conquered the power of death. When Jesus said, carry your cross, he is saying, guys, I'm calling you to a life of death. I want you to follow my example. And denying ourselves means that we take the focus off the things that we want, and we learn to focus on the things that God wants for us. Instead, we have to die to all of our sinful desires so that we can become more and more like Jesus. But in fairness, Jesus gives us a choice. If you go back and you look at that passage, he says, whoever. In other words, you have a choice. Whoever would choose to follow after me, anyone that would choose to follow my example has to trust in my death and has to also Live out this pattern of denying yourself and learning to die to your sinful desires. And so here's the reality of the situation. Jesus died to pay for the penalty of our sins as an act of obedience. And when he rose from the dead, he offers us a brand new life, but that brand new life means we trust in his death and we follow his example of learning to die to ourself. Scripture teaches that all of us are gonna die physically once. All of us are going to die. But Jesus says anyone that would put their trust in me gets to live twice. The way you live twice is by trusting in his sacrifice and this whole new life. It's a better life. We know it's better. But part of this life is learning to deny ourselves. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about this new life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says this. He's writing this letter to these believers in in Corinth. And he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has put their trust in Jesus, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here now. Elsewhere in his letter to the Romans, Paul says, in this new life, transform your minds. The word transform is a word that maybe you've heard before. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. Now, kids, I don't know if you remember this from school or not, or maybe you're going to learn this soon, but metamorphosis is a science word. Metamorphosis is when a creature becomes something completely different, a brand new kind of creature. Like when a tadpole changes into a frog or a butterfly or a a caterpillar goes into its cocoon and comes out as a beautiful butterfly. What Paul is saying to the people that he's writing to is, when you put your trust in Jesus, you go through a metamorphosis. It's a spiritual metamorphosis. You might look the same on the outside, but you're brand new on the inside. And here's what I want to remind you of. This is a work that only Jesus can do for us. And learning to deny ourselves is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do in us. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on everything he's done for us. And in just a moment, when we celebrate baptisms, baptism is a picture, a powerful picture of what this new life looks like. When Jesus died, they took his body off a cross and they laid it in a tomb because they knew he was dead. They sealed it shut. And as far as anyone was concerned, the story was done. But then three days, later, three days later, he rose to new life. When we see someone go down into the waters of baptism, they're confessing their faith in Jesus. And the water doesn't save them, but they're saying, I'm dying to my old ways, and I'm coming back. I'm raising up to a new life. I'm embracing this new life that Jesus has for me. And so I know as I look out at many of you, many of you are following Jesus. You've been following Jesus for a while, but I think we need to be reminded that we're dead to sin and we're alive in Christ. We need, to be, we need to re-embrace every day this new life that he has given us. Jesus didn't say to do it once a year or when you feel like it, but it's a daily thing. And so I wanna encourage you and I need you to encourage me to re-embrace this life of dying to ourselves denying ourselves, and living in the life that Jesus has for us. But before we pray, I just want to say, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you're going through life and you're, you're really hedging your bets to say, if I die, I'm going to stand before God and say, I did the best I could, he's going to say, I'm, I'm sorry. Your best isn't good enough. My son is good enough. It's through faith in him that you receive this new life. If you've never received that new life or if you want to talk to somebody, I want to invite you to come forward after service Talk to me or Dan or Michael or Nikki or Lisa. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. But don't leave here today without embracing this gift of new life that's been made available for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the story of the gospels, the record of Jesus's life that we have. Jesus, I'm thankful to know that you were learning to be obedient at age 12, You were obedient at age 30. You were obedient at age 33 when you died. And you've given us a pattern to follow, an example to follow. Would you help those of us that have been following you for a while to continue to follow you in faithfulness? Would you help us on a daily basis, Holy Spirit, to deny ourselves? Would you show us what that looks like? Would you help us to embrace this new life that comes through faith in Jesus? Jesus, would you help us to follow this example So that our life would shine and look different to the world around us. I'm thankful for the baptisms we share today, or we celebrate today, Father. Seven people across our two campuses, almost 25 people this year at Genesis that have given their life to you and responded by uh, an obedience to baptism. Thank you. We celebrate this now, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to anyone that has not made the decision to know Jesus that you would speak to their hearts and you would you would lead them in responding today. We thank you for what we celebrate. Jesus it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.